0: Shit.
1: Minutes. it's All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. How is everybody? I'm so excited to be here. You guys excited? Yes. Praise God that we're allowed to gather. Let's give him a round of applause for who he is. Yes. Whether whether you're here in person or joining us online, we're so glad that you're here with us. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors, and um, it's just good to be able to be here and to gather and to worship um, a few quick announcements, and then we're going to jump right in. We've got a wonderful day that's going to happen in the Lord. Um, if you're a guest visiting with us, we ask that you do one thing: um, text the word "connect" to 910-424-1298, 910-424-1298, and just give us a chance to um, just answer any questions you may have, get you plugged into the church. We're not going to we're not going to stalk you. We're not going to drive around your house. Brad may drive around one or two times, but he doesn't normally do that. But Otherwise, we'll leave you alone. We just want to make sure we get you plugged in appropriately. And then we have our big three announcements that are happening this week. We have the uh, Deacon Nomination Month is happening in August. Ask that you prayerfully consider um, one or more men that you believe are biblically qualified to lead our church. You can uh, submit those names by typing in the word. Deacon to 910-424-1298. We have the Women's Prayer Breakfast happening next Saturday. So ladies, it's a great time of fellowship um, for you to get together. Men, if you're married and your wife has children, do her a favor, stay home, watch the kids, let her go, let her fellowship with other believers. And then we have Promotion Sunday happening next Sunday, the 22nd. That's where all the children move up a grade. So you want to be mindful of that. Um, And that's where... The elementary will be going into middle school. Who's ready for that? Woohoo! I don't teach them, so I don't care. So, but for that, they're going to have um, Pastor Ryan is going to have a mixer next Friday night, beginning at six o'clock, I believe. And they'll have games, and they'll get a, a chance for the students to sort of interact together and. Um, he'll answer any questions that you have. He'll do a Q&A. It's a great, great program. He's a great pastor. So if your children aren't involved in youth but you're considering them, I would highly, highly suggest that you get them involved because it's a great, great program. So moving on. Now that stuff's out of the way. Uh, you can also download the app. You can get plugged in and you can find out um, upcoming events. You can sign up for journey groups. Um, you can tithe online. So we're excited about that. But the, the, the good thing about today is that we get to be a part of baptisms for some sisters in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? It is. And yes, you know, we understand that baptism is not what saves us. It's faith in Christ that saves but Christ does command us to publicly stand up and proclaim that our identity is in Christ so again baptism does not save you but is a public declaration that we belong to Christ and Christ alone that reminded me of a scripture that I believe is in Galatians and he says but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So I want us to just join together as we sing, as we celebrate, as we pray That we would celebrate with each other the glorious workings of christ let's pray and then we're going to turn our attention to the baptism lord we thank you for the freedom to gather we thank you for the freedom to sing praises to you and to pray to you and i thank you that this just doesn't happen once on a sunday but that that is supposed to be and we are called to be ever praising you in every aspect of our lives so god i pray you would you would your spirit would take hold of this gathering, that you would cause us to worship, that you would cause us to proclaim your greatness, and that by all things, whether we say or speak or do or think, we do it simply all for the name and the glory of Christ. May your namesake be glorified in this place. In Christ's name, amen.
2: Amen, amen. Amen. So glad to have you with us today. As Pastor Scott was saying, we're going to start off celebrating the Lord with baptism. So once want to introduce Vivian to you. Vivian, come on down. All right. Come on around there, girly. Perfect. Tell you what, do me a favor. Why don't you step up on that stool. Look at that. There we go. All right. This is Vivian. Uh, Vivian's coming today uh, excited about her faith in Jesus Christ and Reading her testimony today is her dad, Todd. Hello, my name is Vivian. I'm nine years old. I've been going to church my whole life and going on Wednesday night Bible studies. I was in class not paying attention one night and the Holy Spirit came to me and told me to pay attention. I learned that we are not perfect but to believe in him. He is perfect and died on the cross for my sins. So I prayed to him and asked him for forgiveness. And all that I do, I believe in him. Mom asked, why do you need Jesus to save you? I said, because I should have died on the cross, but Jesus died for me. And now I want to get baptized to share my relationship with Jesus to everyone. Amen. All right, hop down. Perfect. There we go. All right. So, Vivian, having heard your testimony and your faith in Jesus Christ, it is now my honor to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. All right. Don't go anywhere yet. Come back. All right. Let's pray for Vivian, okay? Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for faith. We thank you, God, that you have brought faith into Vivian's heart. We pray, God, that that seed grows deep and strong and powerful and a mighty oak of a woman of God grows right here. We pray, Lord, that you would do this in our sweet sister. In Jesus' name and all the church said, amen.
1: Amen. Stand up, church. Let's stand
2: and celebrate these truths
1: together. It's only one foundation.
0: We believe, we believe in this broken. Gym. And so come, Lord Jesus, come So come, Lord Jesus, come.
2: prayer time this morning, I want to uh, read a scripture to you, just kind of set the stage for us. So, the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, he is as he goes through the book laying out who God is, who the people of God are, what's he doing in all of this. Ezekiel ends his book talking about heaven. Right? And he talks about... um, Who's going to be there and what's it going to look like? He goes through all of these things, the, the, the dimensions that are something, circumferences, all these sorts of things. And then he ends the whole thing in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. He says, "The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there." The most important thing about heaven is not how big it is. The most important thing about heaven is not, is your dog going to be there? The most important thing about heaven is not streets of gold or gates of pearl. The most important thing about heaven is the fact that God is there. Ezekiel doesn't just end his book. He drops the mic and walks off stage. And that little phrase, the Lord is there, in Hebrew, it's Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. And that's such a powerful word, not just for what's true and ultimately glorious about heaven, but what a great word for us here today. No matter where you are, what the circumstance is, what the situation is, the Lord is there. This is why prayer is so amazing. Because you can pray for someone on the other end of the world, and even though you're not able to be there, you can know with definitive fact the Lord is there. And that he is going to be able to move. It's been an interesting week for us at the church. Um, we've had um, great things. We've had people in our church have babies and just awesome things happening. And we've had deaths. I shared with you last week how um, we lost uh, just a dear friend. We lost um, Doug Heckler, member of our church, yesterday. Another member of church, Bob Slattery, went on to be with the Lord as well. Bob's such a great guy. I love Bob. He's seventy-seven years old. He's like five foot nothing, but Bob he, he used to box in the army, and uh, and then when he got out, he'd coach guys and uh, train guys in boxing. And so even though he was seventy-seven and like four foot eleven, dude had a punch. And so, so I'm talking to him one day. He's talking about me. I'm like, well, hit me. Let's go. I'm like, right here. Just give me one. Knock the wind out of me. If I, if I was ever in a fight and I needed a guy to throw one punch, I'm calling Bob Slattery. All right? That's, I need that guy to throw one punch. Bob's going on to be with the Lord. We have people in our church, families in our church, who have been affected by the rapid deployment that happened this weekend. Families, you know, getting a phone call. Hey, Something's got to change. We've got to change gears real fast. And in all these situations, in all these circumstances, the one thing that I want to drive us as we pray is knowing that as we pray, no matter who we're praying for, where they are, what the situation is, we can pray with confidence that God is there with them. God is there. We don't have to ask for God to go. We don't have to ask for Lord. The Lord is there. So let's bow our just for a moment. I want to I lead us into a little time of prayer. And, and instead of me necessarily telling you what's to pray for, just whatever it is that's on your heart, right? I believe every person in this room, you have something on your heart. I want to encourage you right now at this moment, whatever that situation is, let this thought guide you and encourage you. The Lord is there. He is there. You can trust him. You can walk in confidence in him. Take just a minute setting that request before the Lord, but not begging him and pleading with him and, oh God, please. Come Come from a position of faith, knowing God is already there. we just thank you. I pray, God, that our prayers will not be driven just by the circumstance or the situation or the need. God, forgive us for how many prayers have been driven by fear, how many prayers have been driven by guilt and condemnation. God, I pray that you would grow us and mature us in that, and and instead our prayers are going to be, those seeds of prayers are going to be planted in the soil of faith. We're trusting in you, Lord, because we know that you're already there. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever's going on, we know you're already there. You already know. You know every heart better than we do. You know every situation better than we do. And we're just trusting you. So I pray, God, for the numerous situations that are being prayed for and lifted up right now. I ask you, Lord God, that you would, more so than even doing something in those circumstances and situations, I pray, God, for the people right now who are praying those prayers, God, that you would birth in us faith that you are already there. And then we can trust you, that you're a good dad, that you are going, to work in every situation in the ways that bring most glory and honor to you. We trust you for this, God. I pray, God, that we'll be settled in our hearts that we will not beg and plead and fret and worry in our prayers, but, God, we come with confident assurance, not in ourselves, not in our prayers, but in you. Because no matter where we're talking about, who we're talking about, what the circumstance is that we're talking about, you are already there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Work this faith in your people for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, let's find the book of Acts together, all right? We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. We're working our way through the book of Acts together. Or 18, excuse me. Acts, chap- Acts chapter 19. 18. So here's our big idea for today, all right? Our big idea for today is that God uses normal, everyday, ordinary people like you and I to accomplish his extraordinary mission. God's plan is to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation on earth and his plan to do that is to use ordinary people like you and I. God's plan is to see his gospel advance right here in our community. Cumberland County, Hope Mills, Fayetteville, and beyond. And his plan to accomplish that is to use ordinary Every day, normal people like us to see that mission take place. God desires to do a great thing in your family, in your life personally, in your neighborhood. God, God is moving; He is working, and He desires to use us to accomplish that. I want today to, by God's grace, dissuade us from the myth that we can't be used greatly by God to see His kingdom advance. That is a lie. So I'm not special i don't have a platform no one knows my name i just work a normal job i'm a stay-at-home mom i'm a student no one cares i have three instagram followers one of those is my mom like no one cares what i think i want us to see today in god's word that is exactly it is exactly those kind of people that god desires to use you know why because that way he gets the glory I've told you over time, numerous, numerous, numerous times, God is not in the ad business and he is not looking for superstars to help him sell toothpaste. He's looking for faith-filled, normal people who will just say, Yes, Lord, here am I, send me. So let's jump in together. Acts chapter 18 and see God doing an amazing work in everyday people just like you and I. Alright, so Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Alright, stop just for a second. Okay. Let's we gotta we gotta hit this first so we understand the enormity of what's about to happen in the rest of the chapter. So Paul left Athens and went to a city called Corinth. Corinth. Let's chat about Corinth just for a second. Corinth is a city of about 200,000 people. It's a city with a lot of military. It's a city known for a lot of wickedness. Corinth was deeply, deeply, deeply immoral. So much so that to Corinthianize became a slang word for you know. If someone were to call your sister a Corinthian girl, it was your responsibility to do something about that. It was not a compliment. Immorality, divorce, homosexuality, every, every form and fashion of wickedness you can imagine was just the norm. Divorce was so rampant there that I found one historian that said the women of Corinth go uh, name years by the husband they were married to at the time right so it's not 2009 2010 2011 it was that year was bob that year was larry that year was steve when'd you buy your house oh God, joe i bought it joe that's when it was right this is corinth okay it's so wicked that in the ancients theater whenever they were depicting someone from corinth they always made the person be drunk right in order to place someone from corinth you had to get knocked down drunk in order to get on the stage because everyone just knew that's corinth it was sin city before sin city vegas before vegas what happened in corinth stayed in corinth and this is where paul shows up it is the most unlikely place to start a church But here we go. So, Paul lands in first century sin city. And here's what happened. Verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. All right, so let's chat for a second about this. Here's our first normal people that we meet. Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. And what I want you to notice about Aquila and Priscilla is this. This is really, really interesting. I love this. Aquila and Priscilla, we're introduced to them. They're in this story because they just got kicked out of their home. Claudius the emperor decided he didn't like Jews anymore, so he kicked them all out. They were kicked out of their home, kicked out of their city, kicked out of their country. They they were people with with nowhere to go. Aquila and Priscilla are, are introduced into the story by having the rug of life ripped out from underneath them. This was not their plan. This was not how retirement was supposed to go for them. They had something else lined up, and then out of nowhere, boom, it's gone. And for you, listen, you may be in a situation where you feel like the rug of life has been ripped out from underneath you, right? You didn't get the job. You didn't get accepted into that school. You got broken up with again. And you're sitting there thinking, what now? It was at the moment that their plans, their life, Their goals got ripped out from underneath them. It was at that moment that God began to be able to greatly use them. My encouragement for you, if you find yourself in that spot, normal person, normal life, normal plans, boom, they're all ripped out from underneath you. Now what? Look to Aquila and Priscilla. What did they do? They just kept trusting God and walking forward in him, believing that God is doing something even in the midst of this. And I want to encourage you, whatever the situation is, god is doing something even in the midst of this It was not the plan it was not the goal it was not the dream i had it all worked out boom it's gone just like aquila and priscilla but it was at that moment that god was really able to use them to push forward the mission of the kingdom sometimes god has to take our plans away from us so that we can finally walk in his plans for us that makes sense Sometimes what we thought was best, God's got something else he wants to do, but he's got to take those away from us first. And that hurts. I've had it happen to me. You're wondering what in the world is going on. God's got a better plan. Trust him. So Aquila and Priscilla have their lives ripped out from underneath them. God moves them to a completely foreign country, completely foreign city. They know no one. But through a series of God-ordained events, they meet a guy named Paul. And then verse 3. So he meets them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. I love this. Anybody know Paul was a tent maker? Like, he was a blue-collar worker. Right? He, now, greatly educated, powerful in the Scriptures, but what he was trained to do growing up by his father? Make tents. And so you had Paul hooking up with Aquila and Priscilla, making tents. So what Paul's doing? He's working a job during the day and ministering at night and on the weekends as he has an opportunity. He's you. The guy who wrote the New Testament was not some guy that was just able to go, forget the cares of this world. I'm just going to go tell everybody about Jesus. No, dude's got to wake up in the morning, make some coffee, and go do some tents. He's got a job to do, to put food on the table. But he doesn't use that as an excuse to not minister. He uses that as a platform to minister you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to go to your job that's not because you just got to go to work and we're going to leave the ministry to people who get to do it for a living no 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 this is your platform to see the gospel advanced use it for that reason you've been placed in situations and circumstances and places to engage with people and interact with people that may never hear the gospel anywhere else you are there for a reason paul worth a normal job Like a normal guy, and he uses it as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Reasoning with the Jews in the synagogues, on the Sabbath, every weekend in church, telling people who Christ is and what he's done for him, just like us. So then he goes, verse 5, a couple of his team shows up, a couple of his boys, Silas and Timothy, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. All right, Let's chat about that just for a minute. So, Paul is telling them about Jesus. They reject him. And so Paul stands up and says, your blood be on your own heads. Now, real quick, that is not how you need to respond when you invite your neighbor to church and he says, no thanks, right? Right? Like, hey, you know, would you like to come to church with the You know, I appreciate that. It's just not really my thing. Hey, your blood be on your own head, all right? I'm innocent. Shaking out. And he's like, what are you doing? Shaking the dust off, man. Right? Don't do that. Don't do that. What's happening here? A couple of quick things. So as you go through it, it says that they, in verse 6, opposed and reviled him. It literally means they lined up and attacked him. It's a military term, to line up and shoot at the enemy, right? So there's something much deeper going on here than just they didn't believe, right? They were an organized, intentional attack on Paul, right? But the other thing that I think is really interesting that you see here is not... We're not to follow, I think, exactly word for word what he said to them. But I do think something that we do want to model in this, Paul is passionate about the gospel. And when people don't believe the gospel, it affected him deeply. Like he cared deeply and sincerely about his brothers in the Jewish faith coming to know Jesus as the Messiah. And he diligently, faithfully spent time teaching them the word and encouraging them and pointing them to Jesus. And some believed and he rejoiced. And when others didn't and they opposed him violently, he took that seriously because he desperately wanted them to know Jesus. Many of us are way too passive about what Jesus thinks we should be passionate about, mainly him. I want to read a quote to you from a theologian by the name of John Stott. John Stott. John Stott said, Many people do not believe the gospel, not because it isn't true, but because it seems trivial to Christians. According to Stott, one of the things that stops people from giving their life to Christ is because they look at people who profess to be Christians and go, Well, you don't seem to be that serious about it. I mean, it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. What we see here with Paul. Is that he was serious. He was passionate about this. And when people opposed him on this, it, it wounded him to the core. He felt deeply about this. How passionate, how serious are you all about the gospel going out? So then as he leaves there, so they oppose him. And I love this. So he, he says, forget this. Uh, your blood be on your own heads. I'm going to the Gentiles. In verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. So literally, he was like, That's it, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm here now, right? He just went next door. But it's so interesting. So he goes next door to this guy and says, Titius Justice is the guy's name. He's not a Jew, he's a Gentile, but he's come to faith in Jesus. And he goes to this man. And stays in his house. And then verse 8 tells us the next guy that he meets. Verse 8 Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So it gives you two names that I think are really important Titius Justice. And Crispus. And what's significant about these guys is they really put their necks out on the line in order to follow Christ. It was a big deal for them, and they were willing to do whatever they had to do to follow Jesus. Titius Justice, he allowed Paul into his home when an angry mob wanted to kill him. Right? He let a guy into his house, and there's an angry Jewish mob outside who wants to murder the guy. He's letting sleep in his guest bedroom. Right, That's a big deal. And then Crispus, it says that he's the ruler of the synagogue. His entire career is on the line now. Following Jesus means he's potentially going to lose everything. What you see with these two ordinary guys is they were willing to put their necks out on the line even if it meant... Experiencing persecution, experiencing difficulty, because Jesus is worth it. Titius Justice had an angry mob outside, but he still said, no, I'm going to worship Jesus. Crispus had his entire career hanging in the balance, but he said, no, I'm going to worship Jesus. It could be that when you raise your hand and say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus and it means something, it might mean that you have friends in school that, that shun you. You raise your hand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and that means something. That might mean you get blacklisted for the next promotion. But these guys were willing to do it. They stepped out. They put their necks on the line so that by God's grace, they can stand firm in the gospel because Jesus means that much to them. What about us? From there, what you see is, a group of people gather together and take paul to the man in charge of corinth the roman official trying to bring charges against him he's not interested he doesn't care he doesn't want anything of it a guy named Galea, he doesn't care about any of that so he says forget it you guys deal with this a big fist fight breaks out and paul kind of slips out the back door true story and then when paul leaves he gets back together with priscilla and aquila they minister for a while longer about 18 months and then they leave Corinth together, travel down to Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus. Paul keeps going on to Antioch, but I want to pick up just for a second Priscilla and Aquila's story in verse 24, all right? So in Ephesus, they meet a guy who's going to play a significant role in Corinth. So look at this, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's what's going on. So, as they're in Ephesus, they come across a guy, Apollos. It says that he is eloquent and well-spoken, right? So he's, he's eloquent. He knows the word. He's from Alexandria. Alexandria was the great university city of the day. He Basically, he graduated from their Harvard. He is smart. He is educated. He's, he's wealthy. He's able to travel around Europe, right? This guy is the deal. And apparently, he's a Christian, he knows Jesus, he loves Jesus, however it says that he only knows the baptism of John. So in other words, he's only familiar with the Old Testament and the ministry of John. So he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, he knows he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows about the crucif- crucifixion and resurrection, but there are things that he doesn't know. Like He doesn't know about Pentecost, he doesn't know about the birth of the church, he doesn't know fully about new covenant walking with God instead of old covenant walking with God. So what happens? Aquila and Priscilla find him, pull him aside and encourage him in the Lord. They disciple him. They raise him up and then send him out and he is shot off like an arrow goes back to Corinth eventually and becomes such a powerful leader there that Paul has to write a letter to Corinth later on and just saying, "Hey, listen, just to remind you guys, Apollos and I were on the same team, right?" Apollos, I planted Apollos water, God causes the growth, we're all on the same team here. A couple of interesting things I want you to notice about this. One, God uses a young, excited, but a little immature young man. But in order for that to happen fully, some people needed to come along and disciple him in the Lord. Who are you discipling in the Lord? Who are you pouring into? Who is your Apollos? The level of spiritual maturity is not based on how much you know. Your level of spiritual maturity is based on how many people you are pouring into and discipling. It is not about what you know. It's not about how eloquent you can speak. It is about who you are discipling. Who are you pouring into? Who are you raising up? I love Apollos. I mean, he is excited, he is pumped, he loves telling people about Jesus, but he doesn't quite have it all figured out, right? He's he's young and excited, but needs to be encouraged a little bit, needs to be discipled a little bit. And for you, we'd never want to throw a wet blanket on people who are excited about the things of the Lord. We want to encourage you, we want to disciple you, we want to raise you up so that you can be empowered to see that happen. But in order for that to happen, we need more Aquilas and Priscilla's in this room. We need more people who, who understand and believe my job as a follower of Christ is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just learn more, but pour into others. Who are you pouring into? You can do this in a couple of ways. Formally. Formally. You can serve here in our church, like in our children's ministry. It's a great way to pour in to young, excited kids who are growing in the Lord, excited about the things of the Lord, and you get to pour into them and love them and encourage them and raise them up. If I wasn't a pastor and stood up here, and this was my job every Sunday, my, where I would volunteer in this church is in our kids' ministry. No lie. That is hands down where I would be a great place for you to serve i'd encourage in all sincerity i'd encourage you to do that think about serving in our kids ministry pouring in to future apostles, boys and girls who are excited about the things of jesus and need someone to encourage and teach them second informally is there anyone in your life that you're pouring into you may say i, I can't do that i'm not equipped for that think about aquila and priscilla Apollos is well-educated, wealthy, eloquent. Dude can own a room. And who does God send to disciple him? A couple of uneducated, blue-collar, broke tent makers. They are not societally on the same level. You scan the room and you pick Apollos to be on your team, not Aquila and Priscilla. But God chose them to pour in and disciple him Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Corinth is reached because normal people did not let excuses get in their way, but they just stepped out and trusted the Lord. And I want to circle back around because there's one person that we missed and one circumstance and situation going on that ties all of this together of what's happening in Corinth. Pick it back up, chapter 19 verse nine let's look at the apostle paul look what it says verse nine and the lord said to paul one night in a vision do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for i am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for i have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is really interesting. Let's look at verse 9. What does he tell him In verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Real quick, let me, let me throw a little Greek at you. I do this sparingly, but when it's important, I want to do it. And there are two really important things I want you to see. Do not be afraid, do not be silent, go on speaking. When he says do not be afraid, in the Greek text there it's implying something that is happening that needs to stop. Does that make sense? Like something you're doing that you need to quit, right? He is afraid. God is having to tell him to stop being afraid because Paul is freaking out. He is afraid. He is terrified. And then it keeps on going in verse 9. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. That Greek verb describes something that is about to happen, but you're trying to stop from happening. In other words, here's what's happening right now. Paul is terrified, and he is legitimately considering packing this whole thing in and quitting. Let that sink in your brain. If you've been in church for long, you think of Paul as Superman. Right? I mean, he wrote the majority of books in the New Testament. He's the greatest theologian missionary in the history of the universe. He is hes on our Mount Rushmore, right? It is Paul, according to verse 9, he is so scared of what might happen to him, he is significantly considering quitting. And think about what has happened to him. He was beaten within an inch of his life in Philippi, beaten within an inch of his life in Thessalonica, goes to Berea. Things are going a little bit better there. He's thinking, whew, I'm safe now. The dudes from Thessalonica that beat him up show up at Berea to beat him up some more, and he has to sneak away. And he shows up in Corinth, a city that is filled to overflowing with vileness and wickedness. And he's thinking, if they beat me in Philippi and they beat me in Thessalonica, I do not want to know what these fools are going to do to me. God, I knew it was not going to be easy. I knew you told me I was going to experience persecution, but I did not sign up for this. I'm sick of getting kicked in the face every time I say the name Jesus. I'm out. This is where Paul is. Ever felt that? Ever felt just quitting? Quitting your marriage? Quitting your career, quitting church, quitting the faith. This is not what I signed up for. I thought it was going to go better and easier and quicker and simpler than this. You stand in good company because Paul was thinking the same thing. To the point God had to speak to him in a vision and say, stop being afraid and don't quit speaking. And here's why, verse 10. Why? For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Uh, Let's break it down like this. Two promises and then the command. So what are the two promises we see there in verse 10? Promise number one, God's presence. Like, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I am right here with you. Right, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are are with me the answer to no fear is the bedrock confidence that ezekiel 48 god is there he's there he has never left you he has never forsaken you he's never going to first big promise god's presence You can know that God is there. Second thing, look at this God's providence. This is so amazing. Look again, what he says again. Verse 10: For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Quick question: Who are they? Paul just showed up. Right? You got Aquila and Priscilla. They aren't from Corinth. You got Titius and Christmas, that's great. Their family's awesome. It says some more joined. That's great. But he says there are many in the city who belong to him. Who's he talking about? This is amazing. You ready? He's talking about all the people who are going to become Christians. They just don't know it yet. How amazing is this? God's providence is so amazing. He's able to tell Paul look man I know this city can be terrifying. I know you look at what's going on and you think there's no way this is going to work. They beat me in Philippi. They're going to fillet me in Corinth. I said, but don't worry. I've got people in this city who are mine that just don't know it yet. God is telling him, I am with you and I am doing things that you can't see. Just trust me. And the same is true for us right here, right now, in your life, in your situation, in your family, in your circumstance, in this city. God is saying, I'm doing things that you can't see. I'm there. I'm working. I'm never going to leave you. Trust me. This is happening. You can't see it. You can't understand it. This is why you've got to walk by faith and not sight. I love the fact that Paul had to be encouraged with this. Do you know why? Because I have to be encouraged with this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm never going to leave you. I'm doing things in people's lives. I'm drawing people to salvation. I'm convicting people of sin. I'm working in their hearts. I know you can't see it, and I know you think it's a lost cause, but that's why I'm not, you don't judge on the outside. I judge the heart. I'm doing a work here. Just trust me. And that's why in verse 9, he gives him that command do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. Keep silent. Going, And I would encourage you, listen, how could a wicked, vile city like Corinth be reached? Because ordinary, everyday, normal people like you and I, got up in the morning and went to their work believing that God was sending them there on mission and God's doing a work in the lives of these people around me even if I can't see it. So I'm going to keep praying for them and loving them and encouraging them and telling them about Jesus and what Christ has done in my life. And when things go sideways, I'm going to trust God for what his next plan is. And when the mob gathers around me, I'm going to still stand for Christ. Christ. And when they threaten my career, I'm going to keep standing for Christ. And I'm going to find young people who are excited. Listen, young people make mistakes, right? Did you know? True story, you can Google it. The English word teenager comes from a Latin word meaning, What were you thinking? It's a true story. Google it. Young people, they're excited. And they fall down a lot. And we need Aquilas. How is this city going to be reached? How are our families going to be reached? How is the next generation going to proclaim the gospel of God? Because Aquilas and Priscilla's in this room find Apollos' men and women, young boys and young girls, and say, I'll pour into you. Who have you done that for? And in the midst of all of that, Paul, the encouragement God gives to Paul, I believe, is the encouragement God gives to all of us. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I'm doing a work here that you can't see. Just trust me. Keep going. Don't stop. I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And I want to encourage you in a couple of ways as we end our time here today and we pray. As you see these normal, everyday people being used by God to do a work in a crazy place like Corinth, do you see yourself in the story do you see how you can be used? Do you see how God desires to use you? Exactly where he has you, exactly where he's planted you. Ex- he knows he knows where you're at and he knows what he's doing. Do you see yourself in that story? Right now, take just a minute. Freshly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, freshly recommit your Life to Him. And what I mean by that is your everyday life. You get up tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work. In a week or so, if you're a student, you're going to go to school. And you're saying, Lord, I, I believe that you have put me here to accomplish your mission, to see disciples made. I know you're with me. And I know even if I can't see it, you're working. I trust you. Empower me. Commit that to the Lord. And also, just like in Corinth, there were many people who God was going to save through faith in Jesus. They just didn't know it yet. In the same way, there are people in this room right now. It has been God's plan since the foundation of the world to save you. You just didn't realize it until today. Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again. To take away your sin, to make you new, to throw away that old life, to give you a brand new one, today, trust by faith in Jesus Christ to save you and make you new. Ask Jesus today, save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Take away my sin. Make me new. My life is yours. That is your prayer today. I want to encourage you here at the end as we finish. Come up and talk to me. Or go talk to the person who you came with today. Tell them today. Today. You trust by faith in Jesus to save you and make you new. Let us encourage you, help you, walk with you, teach you how to do this. Let us pour into you like Aquila and Priscilla did for Apollos, discipling you in the faith, raising you up. Lord God, I pray for us here in this room. I pray, God, for our city. I pray, God, Lord, that you would, by your grace, raise up us. Everyday people, normal people, they're just going to get up tomorrow and we're just going to keep doing our jobs, what we do. But I pray, God, you set in us a vision that we're not just doing a job, but we are, by your grace, Lord, being called to push forward your kingdom in exactly the way that you've created us, exactly how you've gifted us, exactly how you've wired us. Do this, Lord God, for your glory. I pray for those here in the room that are beginning to understand that God's desire is to save them. I pray, God, that you would continue to draw them into salvation, plant those seeds deep. And I pray, God, you would empower us as a church to disciple them, raise them up to be powerful followers of you, Jesus. We believe, God, that you are doing a great work in this city. We believe that there are many people in this city who belong to you that just don't know it yet. I pray, God, that we would go every single day... Led by your spirits, looking for opportunities to share your gospel, encourage people in the word, and see this city changed for your glory. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Before you leave real quick, um, I want to introduce a couple to you, uh, Terry and Karen, uh, Minces, come on come on down, guys, come on down. Terry and Karen uh, just finished up our new member process. Uh, we uh, we go through a class about once a quarter uh, for this. And so we've got some other uh, folks that will be joining during the 11 o'clock as well. But I want to introduce to you the menses. Uh, so Terry and Karen, they... Um, They've been a part of Southview here for a while, and so uh, circling back around now and coming and being a part uh, again, officially a membership. So very, very excited about that. Uh, They just uh, love the Lord and love this church and love uh, being back here and being a part of what the Lord is doing here. So if you're excited about the Menses officially being a part of our fellowship here at Southview, just let them know by saying amen. Amen. All right. Very, very good. So I want to end our time here today praying for them and then praying for us as a church as well that God would empower us as we love them and encourage them in the Lord. So let's lift them up together, okay? Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the minutes. I thank you, God, just for their heart. I thank you, God, that you, by your grace, brought them here to us as a a family. I pray, God, that you would bless them. I pray, God, that you would continue to raise them up. I pray, God, that you would continue to do great things just in them as your people. Uh, I pray, God, that you would empower them, Lord, uh, to continue to love you and serve you and see your kingdom advance for your glory. And I pray, God, for us as a church, that we would be led of your spirit well, to love them, minister to them. disciple them care for them uh, for your glory thank you lord god for what you're doing here at this church thank you god for the family that you're creating for us here we pray your blessings on us in jesus name amen god bless you guys have a great day